in good timing. I'm just putting the kettle on. Do you want a biscuit? Without chocolate? What kind of monster are you? Oh, I prefer it. They're much better for you. Well, if you're having a biscuit, you're not on a diet, are you? You might as well have some of that taste good. What else you got? Uh, rich tea? Oh, forget it. Did you just come round to diss my biscuits? No, I came for some advice. Welcome to episode 127 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial coronation sheet catch-up podcast that knows we live in troubling times, that the political atmosphere in many parts of the world is toxic, that wave upon wave of a deadly virus continues to ravage our communities and loved ones are once again being asked to isolate from each other and Donald Trump Jr. looks more like that asshole from Die Hard than I thought possible, but still the most upsetting thing that happened last week was this. <laughs> I'm Gavin. But, oh. And I've just been helping Nevada count. And you, you, I, oh, you, no. you, you made me lose my place. No. Oh, I'm going to have to start counting Nevada all over again. Two gags in the same intro? <laughs> Who's heard of such a thing? We do it every week. That's it. No more gags, though. <laughs> We're spent. Uh, yeah. That's not true. No. <laughs> I think I have one more gag. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll we'll come up with many more as we discuss this week on the cobbles. Two, you think? We might get to two. Who mm. knows? How are you this week? Numb. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a numb one, hasn't it? It really has. It was, you know, it, we both decided that um, our city had done so well with the primaries that we would forgo uh, doing the mail-in ballot thing and just go and vote because everybody there'd been so much hand sanitizer and everything was everybody had plexiglass and they had the door open and everything and we were in and out well when we went we had to wait half an hour <laughs> to vote and that was crazy for our teeny tiny wee town of 5,000 people yeah it seemed that uh, when the when the polling place opened at seven o'clock, there was already a line. There was a hundred people, according to Patrick, who was working there and who I bumped into this uh-huh. week. And that was it up until about two o'clock in the afternoon, and then it kind of subsided a little bit. And then it picked up again. And it picked up again because when I to took when I took Nick to vote at five, it took him like forty five minutes to get in and vote. Come back out. He was forty-five as well. Yeah, it's not helped by the fact that even if there's nobody there, it's not. Excuse the expression. It's not a quick in and out. No. You're there for a, a little while as you fill in sp- all the speak bubbles. Speak to one person to fill out your address for some reason. Mm-hmm. Get given a card that you then take to somebody else who puts your card into a little wallet and then puts a massive bit of paper in that wallet. That wallet is called a secrecy. Something a secrecy folder, but they also take your <laughs> driver's. They also like read out the number a on the ballot, and then they take your driver's license and they swipe it so that you're counted. And then you 
you go into your little booth and rather than putting a little X in your box, you have to fill in your box. Yes. Which for anybody who has even just the, the slightest bit of OCD about them, you start to worry about going over the line and then you start to worry about not filling it out completely. Maybe there's a little bit that needs you need to go over again. Mm-hmm. So that takes time because you were ahead of me and I finished before you were voting for the same people. I think because you were taking more care over. Right, and I was reading. I was doing no reading whatsoever. Uh, the 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 propositions because I'm ashamed to say I didn't really research one of them, so I was very I was kind of confused by it. The state park one. And then once you're done, you feed your massive bit of paper into a counting machine. A, a counting machine. It's a scanner. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it looks like and then it says that's it your vote's been counted and you think oh superb yes. and then you expect somebody to give you light bulbs and that doesn't happen and you leave <laughs> you get your sticker though I got a sticker I was lucky to get one of the last normal stickers the rest were kind of small and not all that impressive and yeah, then I, and then I got I, the small one and I immediately lost it because it's the least sticky thing on the planet <clears throat> yeah I stuck mine on Connecticut had these really cool ones that had like pictures of suffragettes on it and i was like and i said to uh, my friend leah i was like oh i'm so jealous those are such cool stickers and she said she'd send me one so that was nice yeah <clears throat> so i think this varies from state to state, state to state and maybe even county county how voting's done but right it's a lengthy process it's not a go in read your name out to somebody who scores your name off a list gives you a card you put an x in a box then you stick it in a big box and that's it and you're done and you can win and out in a minute see when i first started voting which is how it happens in the uk and when um my mom used to take me when she would go to vote when i was little because i used to go with my mom all the time to vote there were these these booths that you walked into and you pulled a crank and these curtains shut behind you and then there was like this pegboard thing where you flipped a switch for each of the people that you wanted to vote and then when you were done you pulled the crank again and the curtains open and the switchboard reset and I think that ended um, that time that guy went in and dropped his trousers and <laughs> no i think i think uh the whole hanging chads thing ended the era of the thing that like punched your vote in yeah. to a board given, fun times given the way that we vote i'm baffled as to how long it takes to to count because it well, is, is it that we scanner thing doing the counting for us well yes and that's that's not the problem well not it's not a problem it's it's the fact that with the mail-in ballots they have to open the envelopes they have to check the signatures because you know you you weren't there with your driver's license to scan and 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 be counted and everything so they have to make sure your signature matches which is a nightmare because people's signatures change over time so the signature they have on file may not be the way that you my sign signature the ballot. in the morning isn't the same as my signature in the afternoon. Absolutely. And my signature when I sign a check, which I don't do very often anymore, is much different than my signature when I'm at the grocery store and I'm signing my signature on the... Oh, you, you sign that? I just make a line. <laughs> yeah, I just do a nope. squiggly mark pretty much. I, yeah. I try to get a B in there and that's about <laughs> it. So, yeah. 
<clears throat> things have, but at this point, I'm just like, hey, you come in and you tell me, oh, well, Pennsylvania has turned a light blue now. Georgia has turned a light blue now. And mm. I'm just kind of like, what else? I, I, I have this feeling in my heart that Joe Biden has won. Of course he has. So that's all that, that's, you know, that's all that matters to me. You know, I... Not that we're doing our political no. episode of a podcast no. that doesn't exist. And... I mean, I knew that Hillary Clinton was going to lose before the election in 2016. Because remember, I sent out that, that uh, Facebook message the night before the Brexit vote that said, okay, guys, if Brexit goes through, then Donald Trump will be president. We're skirting very close to... Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to occupy. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's really kind of been our focus of the week. The numbers keep going up for COVID, and we we haven't been issued any new regulations or lockdown in our state. I think because they're afraid that somebody's going to shoot the governor, since they've already threatened to kidnap her. <laughs> Skating along. I know, I know, but Connecticut this ends our. Common language episode on voting in America, which we've already if, done. Yes, if if you want to know more about how the voting is different in America or the UK, you can listen to our common language episode about voting from last year. Was it last year or two years ago? I can't remember. All anyway. I can hear at the moment is people hitting skip on their on their <laughs> phones. So, <laughs> shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that electoral coding news. <laughs> I want to know what fucking Alaska's been doing for the past four days because it's still sitting about 50%. Nobody cares about Alaska. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's typically red, so. Yeah, whatever. You know, Sarah Palin can see Russia from her house. swinging anything. Like, no, they have. It's like when Betty came in all excited because DC voted for Biden, and I was like, it. that doesn't matter doesn't at all. Count. That doesn't count. Anyway, it should, but it doesn't. Anyway. Corey Starr's giving back. Chilly Goodyear, a.k.a. our bet that was, has made a large contribution of jewelry to Willowwood Hospice, including pieces worn on the street, like her birdcage earrings that I wouldn't turn down under the Christmas tree. <laughs> the hospice will be selling the pieces online as they have been forced to cancel in-person fundraisers due to the pandemic. More information can be found on the Willowwood Hospice's website, www.willowwood.info. As well as the sale, a special film has been produced featuring many familiar faces from the street. And you can also view it at the Willowwood um, website for a small donation. So that's nice. That's nice. Yes. And thank you to Willowwood Hospice for sending us the press release that gave us this information. Yep. Yes. Yes. More of that, please. <laughs> makes your job a bit it easier. It makes my job a bit easier, yes. I will never turn down a press release. I maybe shouldn't say that. <laughs> anyway. 2020 continues to not be Beverly Collard's year. Oh, no. The poor woman has had issues with her hips, leading to a hasty exit from the street and having to turn down rolls. And now her poor wee dog, Norman, has died. Oh. Yeah, the poor thing was only 15 months old. What? They had rushed it to ICU and had done everything they can, and the poor wee dog died. Ugh, our hearts go out to Bev during this time, because we know what it's like to lose a dog. 
Oh, I can't talk about that. No, we still can't <laughs> talk about that. I called Dobby Teddy the other day. I do it all the time. It, it, it kind of answers to it now. <laughs> They're kind of the same color, which is the problem, I think. Mm-hmm. They don't look at all alike. No, they're very, they're very different dogs. Same, same color. personality. Same color. Uh, so what on earth was wrong with the puppy? I don't know. They didn't say. It was just, it had very bad diarrhea and was, couldn't keep anything down and was just... <sighs> Puppies and, and kittens are very difficult mm-hmm. to keep alive. Uh, anyway, moving on. Finally, last week we speculated that Corey would go on during second lockdown, and this week we can confirm that filming will indeed go on while adhering to very strict health and safety protocols. So no skipped episodes for us moving forward through second lockdown, which I am of two minds about. Because, yay, good, I'm glad everybody's going to get paid and everything. But on the other hand, it's fucking scary out there. <laughs> and I don't want anybody else on the street to, to catch it. I the world is fucking terrifying. It is terrifying. <laughs> I think it always has been terrifying. I think it's, it's more overtly terrifying. Yes. The world is fucking frightening. And that's Corey News. <laughs> I'm real back. Chloe from Nova Scotia wrote in to say, in Canada, we've been joking a lot about the election that's going on in the meth lab in our basement, <laughs> but I honestly hope you guys are okay. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very but much. Just... Also, clear a space on your couch for us, will you please? <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no rampaging villagers with pitchforks and, not yet. and melted tar. Not yet. Yeah. Apparently, not, not in our neighborhood, but in another neighborhood nearby, there's a guy who rides around on his tractor honking the horn and, and and shouting that Trump has won or something. This so. is the last I'm going to mention about it. <laughs> but the sad guy with the pickup truck oh, yeah. at QD, where I get my coffee in the morning and where I get my gas. Not, uh, that, uh, that, that, not that we've been drinking not that gas station coffee either. at the moment. No. But in the back window of his pickup truck, he has a large impact font. Trump 2020, fuck your feelings. Mm-hmm. And when you see that for the first time, it's genuinely a little shocking. And I know that's rich with the filth that comes out of my mouth on a daily basis. Right. But to see that kind of broadcast... You don't say, you don't say fuck your feelings to people, though. Not in public. Is, is that... That's not also the guy who had behead the beheaders in gothic letters on the back of his SUV, is it? Hindsight corner. <laughs> Because that was always confusing to me because if you behead the beheaders, then you become the beheader and then somebody's going to come and behead you. It doesn't make sense. Blue, 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 blue. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think his copywriter was off that day. <laughs> the doctor in 1971, Doctor Who. Was. Was. I don't remember. I was I right. was not. It's John Pertwee. I wasn't alive at the time. Nor was I. For five years. The Little Miss series of books by Roger Hargreaves. Uh-huh. That was launched in 1981, by which point I was eight and had somehow outgrown the series. So while I probably was a sexist wee shit as a boy, that wasn't one of the reasons why. <laughs> by comparison, Mr. Man, Mr. Man, Mr. Men started in 1971, a popular year, with Mr. Topsy Turvey, the one that we spoke about last week, launching a year later. 
And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight, this morning with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Massive Gay Anthem. Remember this? Mm-mm. This was David's wedding song. I'm coming out. Because he just got out of jail, you see. And he thought oh, that's right. that had been chosen by Billy, but it hadn't been. In fact, it had been picked by... Gail. By Gail, correct. I was Gavin, and you were a rod skull of rabbits, or something. You said it like three or four times, and I still have, and I listened to it back three or four times, and I still have no idea what you were talking about. I don't know what I was talking about. That was my suspicion. Either, well, I, I, I knew what it was. I was talking about then. Oh, oh, I know what I was talking about. I was talking about Tolkien. I was, I was, um, I was, um, oh, what's the brown wizard's name? Oh, anyway, it was right before the. I was. I, we we were doing. Where's the, that? Where's that elevator music? We were doing the. We were doing the podcast, and then Stella and I were going to the Grand Rapids Comic Con, and I was a character from the Lord of the Rings. A rod skull of rabbits. Well, I had a rod skull of rabbits because this is the. Oh, um, that's what you said. Th- this is the um, wizard whose whose chariot is pulled by a rod skull of rabbits. There were seven episodes that week. Come hell or high water, Shun is determined to get married, which means getting David out of the jail and the success of their plans may depend on the reliability of Nick's Rover 75, the worst car ever made on British soil. You're welcome, Scott. Daniel has done what any normal Barlow would do in crisis by buggering off to Scotland and draws Ken's ire when he announces that he has no plans to attend Shunid's funeral. Radagast! I was Radagast the Brown. That's who I was. (laughs) This is what I have to put up with. Ali and Gary continue to swing the proverbials as they vie for Maria's affections while Toya's advice falls largely on deaf ears. In his desperation to keep Tyler away from the street, remember Tyler? Uh, Robert, remember Robert? Grassy's <laughs> no event one remembers Steve, Robert. Which results in Amy being grounded and leaves Michelle and Carla to He's ponder. Still laying on the street what exactly with any of this has to do with Robert? <laughs> Elsewhere, it's exam time for Abby and she prepares by getting Mullard in the Rovers with a lovesick, kev shaped puppy. Asha comes home for lunch. Kathy pops a kettle on. For the 50th week running, the character would most like to punch in the throat is Tim's dad. Our moment of the week was David's donut speech at his wedding, and our boring moment of the week was Asher's lunchtime tedium, and that was Talk of the Street and Coronation Street this time last year. Shall we dive in? Oh, my dear. Radagast was also played for fuck's by... fuck's sake, who cares? <laughs> Sylvester McCoy, who was also Doctor Who. Well, the Doctor in Doctor Who, because the Doctor's name in Doctor Who is not Doctor Who. He is my second favourite Dr. McCoy. I can work out which bit of that I care less about, and I think it's a tie. <laughs> the dark shite rises. I just went with last week. It doesn't it still doesn't make any sense. Dark shite rises? Mm-hmm. Oh, because he's he's a he's a shitty knight. Is this a Batman pun of some sort? I think it started off that way last week. I'm not sure what it is anymore. It's maybe about Sylvester McCoy, who knows. <laughs> On Monday, Johnny's up and worried that Jenny's opening up the pub and is surprised the cops haven't shown up yet. There's a knock at the door and we're to think it's them, but who is it? 
I'm just imagining Johnny in a Batman costume. And it's hilarious in my mind. I'm imagining the conversation with his tailor. <laughs> You're going to have to take it out a little bit. In the back. <laughs> Round the top of my legs. Oh, God. Uh, it's that Emma. And on reflection, it won't be. She asks what happened with Scott. Brian has been telling everyone there was a hostage situation. John explains that it was Scott behind the bistro and inverted commas job. And Jenny says he threatened to kill them. Emma acts all shocked. They must have been terrified, but at least he's with the police now, says Emma. Celeb Jacker, if you're listening, please, please, photocopy or photoshop. No, please don't. Johnny into the back Anyway. Later, Alina comes in to see how Emma is. She knows something is wrong because they're friends now, remember? Emma comes clean with her involvement with Scott and the hush money, and Alina tells her to come clean with the police and return the money. Emma's hopes are riding on Scott, saying nothing, but Alina knows men like Scott, and if it's not him, some other rando will turn up wanting Johnny to star in another remake of Point Break. So Alina is playing the Nina role this week. Yeah. Yeah. Alina Pop for... Nina the Goth. <laughs> Kirk is next to descend on the rovers and removes his mask as soon as he gets to the bar. He quizzes Johnny about the Scott hostage situation and Johnny peddles a few lies that he found out it was Scott who robbed the bistro and shot Craig, so he called the police. Kirk proclaims Johnny to be his new hero, thus relegating Craig to second spot. Johnny <laughs> wants no fanfare, no paps, so to speak, and no press. Yes. Meanwhile, Emma goes round to see Steve, but it's just Amy who's in, who seems to have given up hope on Oliver and explains how stressed Steve is about the whole thing. But hey, at least Emma helped out with the money and Steve was so chuffed. But ignore me, says Amy. What was it you wanted to speak to Steve about? Oh, never mind. Never mind. Says Emma. In the back of the rovers, Johnny is upset that he's Kirk's hero. Yeah, you, Craig, the Teletubbies and that animated dog, says Jenny. uh, Bolt. Johnny worries about the PTSD that Craig might have now. Which is a weird reach back to a movie that's like 10, 12 years old. Bolt? How old is the Teletubbies? They haven't been on for... I know, but... uh, Forever. The Teletubbies are a far more iconic pop culture reference than a movie in which John Travolta offers the voice of a dog. Well, you seem to be very familiar with it. I have kids. (laughs) You're fooling nobody. <laughs> Sheer terror, he says. Johnny beats himself up for not telling the police sooner. This is all his fault. Jenny says Scott is to blame. And Johnny needs to man up and put this behind him. Now let's scrunch all this into a bitter little ball, swallow it down, and never talk of it again, says Jenny. Does Jenny specify which Teletubby it is that is C- Kurt's hero? I think it was collectively. Oh, Okay. So not the, not specifically one or the other. No. Like the purple one that carried a purse. Tinky Winky. <laughs> he has a name. You're very quick with the names of the Teletubbies, my darling. It's useful and trivia. <laughs> Tinky Winky, Dipsy, Lala and Poe. <laughs> sure. Sure, that's how you know. Yeah. That's how I know. <laughs> oh, and plus kids. Because that seems to be the, the go-to blame. Yeah, the kids weren't watching Teletubbies. Well, maybe it's not our kids. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I had a little nephew who was probably off that age. 
oh, when yeah. the Teletubbies were, were a thing. And also he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a huge fan of the Teletubbies. He preferred uh, getting rock-bottomed. Uh, <laughs> as still he did. As still he did. And uh, Stubbs' kids were Gruffalo fans. Oh, of course. From a very because, early age. Because who wouldn't be a fan of the of the Gruffalos? Stelly was like really into this show on, on Nick Jr. that had that was like a mass show. And it had a robot on it because she's always loved robots. And for, for Benny, it was the boobas, which are generally terrifying, far more terrifying than the Teletubbies. The boobas. What you want to do is watch the Teletubbies in black and white whilst listening to New Order. <laughs> there is nothing scarier. It's like a it's like a Stephen King nightmare. Anyway, Emma is on Maxine's bench and Alina gets her on her case again when they're interrupted by the police who ask Emma to accompany them down to the station. And at the station, the cops reveal that Scott has dropped Emma in it and told them to, that he gave her five grand. Why would they do that, do you think? Why would they drop Emma in it? And right, and not Johnny. Johnny. Who is genuinely mad. Yeah, this makes no sense. Because he's not mad at Emma. No. I get the impression he'd rather likes Emma. Because right. Because who doesn't? Right, because Emma is very likable. Because plot, my darling. There, there are so many things that happened this week. Just just so something else could happen. And it's, it's exhausting. It does make the gods of plot very happy. <laughs> uh, so... Emma thankfully discards Alina's awful advice and denies everything. She has no idea why Scott would say that, but Scott is a criminal and criminals lie, she says. She had no idea Scott had anything to do with the robbery. Everybody says she that. knows fuck all about fuck all. And Scott is a filthy liar, she finishes on. Filthy, filthy liar. After Emma goes round to see Steve and spill the truth about Scott and the bribe to keep quiet. She admits to having been spoken to by the police, and Steve is outraged, worried that Emma could go to prison. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it, she says. God, she has so... She's never been in this situation in her life. She has no idea what to do. She's thrown herself... Not at Steve's mercy, but... And she's so... Steve's intelligence to get her out of And she's so down on herself. That's the thing that bothers me the most, is that she keeps saying, I can't do anything right. I've never done anything right in my life. I'm so horrible. And it's like you you did a bad thing, but it was a bad thing for a good reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you killed somebody like Tracy. And she will kill again. <laughs> but Emma was just trying to... She was scared. Mm-hmm. Right. I like how she gave the explanation of why she looked in the bag because it was a bag. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I actually kind of bought. I do buy that. But I have to look in bags. Have, because of that if, time. If that's true, then hasn't she, why hasn't she been caught looking in people's purses that are left on the counter and everything? Well, she this just is... did. So. <laughs> I've never seen her open somebody else's bag before, ever. What was it that she found in somebody's bag that was completely random? It was it was rather funny, but anyway. Yeah, it wasn't a vibrator though. What? That was that was anywhere near the top of my list of things that she was talking about. It was something be... that that that, sh- that shouldn't have been able to fit in a bag. She found in, in an old lady's bag or something. I can't remember. It was Monday. <clears throat> Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. She says. For now, do nothing. Says Steve. He needs to think. In the meantime, he gives her a pep talk. He wouldn't be getting through this without Emma. Emma says that she would rather go to prison than jeopardise the case or Oliver's health. Oliver is your son, she says. 
and you're my daughter, says Steve. Oliver might be the first thing that he thinks of when he wakes up in the morning, but the second thing is Emma and Amy. Right. Fuck you, Tracy. Emma. <laughs> fuck you, Liz. <laughs> Emma. And, and fuck you, Tim. <laughs> you're a big bear. They haven't... They haven't... You never see them hang out and wrap themselves in tape or anything anymore. No. I really miss that friendship. That's, I that's, mean, Tim chose Kev of all people and his fucking dad as best men when it should have been Steve. Mm-hmm. I will never get over that. Emma is the best of all of us. On Wednesday, Emma's at the hospital with Steve. She thinks this might be the last she gets to see little Oliver. Not because he's dying, but because she's going to get locked up for the Scott thing. In comes Leanne and Toya, and Steve covers his panic about Emma by claiming to be nervous about his meeting with Wendy the Guardian. Toya does her best to put him at ease, but not like that. Leanne is confident of a win. Thanks again, Emma, who does a two-second smile fade. The best two-second smile fade of the week, as it turned out. Which is now a thing, apparently. We'll see. We'll see how far we got with the bath and shower thing, and this, this, this might die. The, the this smile week. fade thing happens far more often than the bath and shower thing. Yes, it thing. does. Which is why I've, which is why I've jumped on. However, it. the empty cup thing happens quite an awful lot too, and we even had an empty cup awards, and then we just gave it up. Right. Which I'm, is sad. I'm fickle. <laughs> Later, Steve no spoke kidding. to Wendy the Guardian, but there's something he has to come clean about. And he says to Leanne that Emma's money was dodgy. It came from Scott. Toya and Leanne are instantly worried about what this means to Oliver's case. And Toya promises to sort it out with Imran. So back home, Toya explains it all to Imran, who is livid. That money has gone through the company books. And now he has to report it. Toya, who really should have thought about this before she said anything, insists that they can't tell anyone. They need to find another way because this is going to to devastate Leanne. Leanne already knows about it. So she can't get any more devastated. Yeah, can you get more devastated? About this. She'll get more devastated later on about something else. But for right now, it's fine. So Imran and Toya have invited Emma around so they can watch her cry. Despite what Leanne wants <laughs> of what Leanne thinks, Elliot will do if he finds out. Imran needs to report this and Emma needs to tell the police everything. So Imran calls Elliot. And he's still on board, but he's not happy. But this is too important a case to drop because he's making far too much money out of it. Right, yeah. Uh, when when Imran said that about this is far too important a case, I was like, really? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Emma is confessing at the police station. She hasn't been able to sleep. She says it's all been mad with Oliver and stuff and she needed the money. Scott gave her it and she lied earlier. The money was to keep her mouth shut and she had nothing to do with the robbery. She explains about the court case and the pressure that she was under. The money was there and she took it, even if she knew it was wrong, and she paid her lawyers. The police are needlessly harsh with her and she's arrested for handling stolen goods and then taken down to the cells, which I thought was just remarkably cruel. Right. I can't think of a moment where that would where that would happen to Emma in this situation. Right? Yeah. She's not killed anybody. She's not no. a risk to the public. She, she's not a danger. She's not a flight risk. She's, uh, she's going to be charged, but uh, and that's fine. Of course she'll be charged. Mm-hmm. But would they put her in a cell? I don't know. They Thankfully, let Tim's dad out the very next day after there was proof that he was abusive. Thankfully, she's not long in a cell. And later that day, she's out and she goes to see Steve and explains that she's been charged with not handling stolen goods. Money laundering. Money laundering. How has she laundered any money? Yeah. She's not. I mean, she's not really... 
money laundering. I, I guess Scott could maybe be accused of money laundering. Only if he expects to get some of that money back, which he doesn't. Money laundering isn't spending money. Money laundering is putting money into the financial system and then taking it back out again in the form of a check. Right. Which makes it clean. Right, yeah, like your own business. Or, you like know... Like in Breaking Bad, when they had a, a car wash. That was a money laundering front. They right, took, They took cash, yeah. which they turned into... Which they, they put into the bank and it became... It became clean in the system. Or you set you up an get... IRA and then you immediately... Surrender as, it. You immediately surrender it, like, a week after. Yeah, you don't give it to a barmaid to pay for her brother's uh, legal costs. Yeah, that's not money laundering that's at money all. Laundering. That's no. not money laundering. Take it from two people who work at insurance. I recently finished my CBT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to we have to sit and learn about every change in the laws of both the US and the UK. Maybe not for much longer. Well, for one of those. For the UK, I think, yeah. So, uh, she's up in court tomorrow and will be pleading guilty. Steve is pissed at Imran. Emma could go to prison for this. Emma says it's unlikely and it was the right thing to do. No one knows what's going to happen with the five grand and Steve admits to being involved in some dodgy shit when he was her age, so don't worry about it. Yeah, far more dodgy than this. Right. And we're going to step away from this storyline and then come back to it later. So, this was all about Emma and Emma's handling of this situation. Right. Where she's kind of put in this really pressurised decision-making situation where she has this money, she didn't know what to do with it. She thought she could do some good with it. Mm -hmm. She was scared of Scott, so she's going along with it from that point of view as well. She doesn't want to get hurt or anyone that she loves to get hurt by Scott. So when he offers her the money, it's a kind of, you better take this and you better keep your mouth shut. Right. So she's only really very, very barely responsible for... (coughs) For any of this. Right. Really. And like you pointed out in the beginning, it's weird that Scott would throw Emma under the bus before he throws Johnny under the bus. Because he's obviously not thrown Johnny under the bus yet because nobody has come to arrest Johnny. What beef does he have with Emma? None. This wasn't Emma's idea. She's not blackmailing him. No, it this was This is his all his idea. idea. The guy that is deserving of this 100% is Johnny. And, you know, it wasn't, the audacity even, to collapse outside it wasn't the car. even the first time. Because remember, Scott made a large donation before of money that actually wasn't dodgy. And, well, not that we know of. Right. And was fine. So, it, it like you said, it genuinely felt like Scott genuinely liked Emma because everybody likes Emma. And none of this makes sense at all. Like, when it was in the previews and stuff, I was like, how on earth did they find out? Emma must have confessed. But no, Emma doesn't confess. She did a pretty good job of covering her tracks the first time she went. Right. I mean, she... I mean, she was obviously guilty. She was shifty eyes, but... And... Both times... If she just stuck to that storyline... Yeah. Then... Well, that wouldn't really... It really wouldn't have made sense, because the police would have found out that she works there... And he was staying at that B&B. So for her to say, I don't have any, I have no association with this person. But she didn't. Well, she did because she worked there. She worked there. She knew him. She saw him coming and going, but she had no association with him. She knew who he was, but she admitted that. Mm. Does she have association with everybody who goes into the bar? Yes. 
<laughs> Does she? Well, a, the regulars, and he's not just going to the bar. He's living there. So she's associated with any criminal that goes into the bar for a drink. Well, no, no, no. It's No further questions. Not that he's going into the bar to drink. It's that he's living there is what I'm saying. So he would, you know, a he's a regular. <laughs> it's a B&B. It's not as if they're putting them up. In their own home, it's, it's a business. It's it's, it's literally like if it was a hotel. Them, if it was a hotel, they're, they're literally putting them up in their own home. It's a B and B. It's a business transaction. She she knows who he is. She still doesn't have any association with him. I wouldn't have said they, they don't have any business together. Right, but she knows him. But she didn't deny. Um, anyway, let's go to something else. Roxy Music's greatest hits. <laughs> Another storyline where things happen. Just so other things can happen. Nope. No. No. Please, God, no. I've already scrubbed my brain with bleach and hydrochloroquine. No. To remove that. Like COVID. To remove that image from my head. On Monday, tensions are still high between Abby and Debbie because Abby forgot to pack Jack's lunch or something. Abby wants to know from Kev how long... Uh, she has to put up with this shite, and then she goes off for work. So Kev, tactful as ever, asks Debbie how long she intends to stay. Debbie tells him to grow up here. There'd be no tension if Kev reminded Abby who was boss. All Kev wants is for the two of them to get on with each other. Yeah. That's never going to happen, really. Yeah, yeah Kev's the boss of that house, sure. Debbie goes round to the garage to speak with Abby, who makes her way as she tightens a spark plug or something, I don't know. Debbie explains... While wearing a mask. The so com- she's... She's wearing a mask when she's working on a car in, in, in bits that it not facing another person, not talking to another person and working in bits that no other person is going to touch anytime soon. And then once another oh, person please, comes please up, your then <clears throat> she... <Go on>. <coughs> <coughs> there we go. Then she immediately takes it off. Right. I've I've read articles saying just stop nitpicking just, yeah, over stop every nitpicking little yeah. thing. But it's considering how serious COVID is and how many people have died, it does matter when it doesn't seem like people in a TV show which are acknowledging that COVID exists don't seem to be taking it seriously. It does matter. Uh, Debbie explains the conversation that she just had with Kevin and claims Abby would have no relationship with him if it wasn't for her. Abby claims that they were all happy before she showed up and what's this mysterious business about anyway because all she seems to do is hang about criticising Abby. Debbie clams up and tells Abby to mind her own but admits it's to do with property and then calls Abby a gold digging lech and heads off to a meeting. Right, because apparently Debbie is paying rent while visiting her brother? Mm Mm-hmm. What?! I don't know. I, I kind of don't really hear an awful lot of what Debbie says because I'm too fixated on how her arm is constantly at this kind of angle to hold her her bag. <laughs> her handbag. Or she's got this strange arm posture where her hand's kind of pointing up like she's <laughs> about to do YMCA or something <laughs> just to make sure that her accessories don't fall Fall off. on the ground. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Kev sneaks up on Abby at the garage but she has eyes on her arse cheeks. Two moles that Kev is particularly partial to apparently. Oh, Bork. That's not weird. Abby explains about her meeting with Debbie, who accused her of being a gold digger, and she tells Kev to grow up here, which Kev points out is exactly what Debbie said. <laughs> Abby brings up this mysterious business again, asking what exactly it is that she does. Property, says Kev. Then they see Debbie going into the bistro. 
Abby gets Kev to call Debbie and ask her to meet for lunch, which Kev does, but Debbie tells him that she's in time with a client. Boom, says Abby. Gotcha. And the two of them march into the bistro to see what's up. What is up? So Debbie's going through her bag when Abby and Kev expose her lie. She turns on the waterworks and claims to be bankrupt. She's lost everything and there's no job. If it wasn't for a loan that she got from her mate, she'd have nothing. It was a bad investment. She trusted the wrong man. All the while, Ray Weinstein is hanging around in the background, watching and hearing everything. Yes. And he says, Are you all right, ma'am? Are these people bothering you, ma'am, who I've never seen before in my entire life, Mm ma'am? Yeah. Kev is confused. Not at all. Why give him the money from Auntie Vi? And what about the place in Turkey? The money was before this happened and she lost the place in Turkey. She's so sorry for lying to them both. Kev wants the pair back, but Debbie won't hear of it. She'll get back on her feet. And Kev insists that she stays with him as long as she likes. Debbie goes off to powder her nose and goes on the phone immediately, saying that she's dodged a bullet mm-hmm. and they need to talk with whoever it is that she's on the phone with. Mm-hmm. Abby goes to see Sally, who's having a few cookie treats. Dark chocolate, says Abby. What kind of monster <laughs> are you? You might as well have something nice. What else you got? And Sally offers rich tea. Oh, forget it, says Abby. Did you just come round to diss my biscuits? Asks Sally, which I think is line of the week. Uh, Abby oh. explains about Debbie losing everything and needs some advice on how to make it up to her. Sally suggests having a spa in the hot tub, but Abby points out that Debbie thinks hot tubs are for swingers. Does she now? <laughs> Does she now? Asks Sally. Abby says Debbie likes wine and Indian food. Then take her out for a fucking curry, says Sally. She's had enough of this. Mm-hmm. Later, Kev is planning his famous chilli. Sure. But Abby would like to make it but up not to Debbie. Chili, not chilli con carne or however you chili say Chilli con carne there without rice, says Johnny, who's on the toilet. <laughs> but Abby would like to make it up to Debbie. How about a few pre-dinner drinks to say sorry? And Kev kind of forces Debbie into accepting. So the little wine meeting is awkward. Abby admits that she knows what it's like to be turned over by a fucking man. She explains the volcanic relationship she had with a guy before Kev, a scumbag who liked to flash the cash, and how she's still, <laughs> and how he's still on the street, Ray fucking Weinstein. And to top it all off, he blackmailed Kev into selling him the garage, so Abby and Kev would avoid the jail for blowing up Ray's car. Debbie is shocked. Shocked, I tells you. I thought this was quite an unusual thing for Abby to admit. The blowing up of Ray Weinstein's car. And she kind of, she kind of skirts over it too because she she admits that she got mad at him and blew up his car. I but, think what she says is, "I blew up his car. He had it coming." Right, but she doesn't say and, why. And Debbie has no follow up questions on that. Right, it's not he had it coming because he's a sleaze bag who sexually harasses his customers, and you know, and possibly assaulted what's her name who's no longer michelle and bethany right and bethany no bethany was standing up to oh, him oh no she was ace reporter bethany at that point right wasn't she? yes or was it detective bethany cub reporter gumshoe bethany on the case <laughs> encyclopedia encyclopedia bethany <laughs> bethany drew Timbot4000 says this does not compute. I'm surprised that Timbot was able to keep his counsel for as long as that, mm. going through the whole mm. Bethany occupation thing. One but would argue that he spoke too too late when he should have said that about the whole Abby 
talking about blowing up the car without saying why. And they might go into a cell and get in charge right. of money laundering. As opposed to the whole Bethany stuff, which is old news, frankly. Maybe Timbot just realized that he hadn't said anything for a while and... Figured he needed to say something. Yeah, maybe that's what happened. Hmm. Let's go with that. So, uh, so Debbie, who doesn't work at the bistro, turns up at the bistro and storms into Ray Weinstein's office. You're a piece of work, she tells him. Ray tells her that she's playing a dangerous game. Debbie Storming reveals, in here and, and admitting that you know me. They kind of reveal that they've done the horizontal hokey-cokey in the past and almost did so again. What's the matter, he asks. Yonder doodahs. Oh. oh, oh! First of all, that came out of the blue. Don't ever say that to any woman, ever, ever. I mean, we know you're a scumbag already, but still, sir. Debbie reveals the conversations you had with Abby about Kev's garage, and Ray thinks that's a strong way to put it. What's a strong way to put it? Oh, anyway. Oh, he put a bit of pressure on oh she thought it was blackmail he put a bit of pressure on that's all and he saved him a few grand in the process by lowballing kev well done him ray reminds her that the deal was to get all the properties on that side of the street the garage was a bonus but if violating her morals is making debbie sweat or knacks about it he'll gladly buy her out and later it seems that debbie isn't quite so outraged after all they compare notes ray is working on gary about the factory Debbie says that she's has an in with Tim's dad after she tipped him off about Alia last week. Boom, you were right about that. Mm-hmm. Number four could be trickier. Tim and Sally might need a sweetener, although all Sally needs is a sniff of anything that sounds like Cheshire. Ray tells her she needs to start pushing some buttons here because if this falls through, she really will be bankrupt. Debbie gets home and it's all sweetness and light. She claims that she enjoyed her honest chat with Abby earlier and promises that from now on it'll be honesty all the way and she thinks that they might all be friends. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Debbie's walking down the cobbles with her arm at that weird angle to hold her bag in place as she's on the phone to Ray. Once she's finished, Sally won't know what's hit her and she goes on to describe the basis of the plot to Asterix and the Roman agent and her plans to spread misinformation. Debbie Fake news! <laughs> I should point out that Helen just, just shouts fake news at random points during the day. She could be... In the supermarket. <laughs> she could be in church. For some reason, my skin is turning orange. I don't know why. <laughs> oh. Okay, Motley. I found something quite cool on your phone. On See, my phone? If you hold down space, if uh-huh. you're sending a text and you, mm-hmm. you hold down space. Yes, you, you can get move little, it around. You get a little tactic response. And when you move your... Thumb left or right, it moves the cursor left yeah. or right. Yeah, you just I now just, realise that? I just discovered that this week. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Debbie goes round to see Sally and butters her up a bit. I don't know if that was... Just popped in my... Yeah, you picked up your phone, I think it was over. Oh, dear. Debbie You're goes round to see... It. Maybe I would just try to get the image of you turning into Donald Trump out of my head. <laughs> Debbie goes round to see Sally and butters her up about her new car day and her new... Chimenea. Yes. Did I say she... that right? Chimenea. It's 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 fine. And she says, um, what is that color? And she says something which is incorrect. And then Sally says, I think it's just called pink when it's clearly mauve. That sweater is mauve. If you're expecting a reaction from Timbo on that, you're sorely mistaken. Mauve so, is a pinky purple. It's only just lavender. arrived. 
Sally is sorry Debbie lost her job and offers to open any doors that she can for her. Thanks, Sally. Thanks, Sally. Debbie Disgraced knows. mayor of, of Weatherfield. Debbie knows that it hasn't been easy living next door to that monster. She always saw Sally living leafier and posher than Coronation Street. Sally would move in a heartbeat, but she couldn't leave her conservatory and her swingers hot tub. It's urban Cheshire. Again, Tim comes down the stairs wondering where his favourite pants are. It seems they're in the dryer, and he'll, he's happy to hang loose until they're dry. Right, so he's hanging loose. You know, he's... He's How comfortable the... would you be wearing just a robe with like one of my friends in the house? Not at all. No. I certainly wouldn't sit on the stairs. Right. Legs spread. <laughs> I'm going to use the word akimbo. <laughs> Later, talk moves to Faye's new bloke, Noah. And Debbie asks if Sally is doing one of her famous spreads, but not like that. That's Tim's job <laughs> to christen the chimney, but not like that. It's got Cheshire written all over it, and Sally's taken in. Plus, it's a united front against Tim's dad. Debbie offers her assistance, just as Tim's pants are ready. So Tim and Debbie are walking back from Fresco's with a stolen, stolen slash borrowed trolley full of stuff. Sally is shocked and embarrassed, and tells Tim to dump it outside Gales. <laughs> did that happen? That happened, didn't that it? That did happen! So, because I guess it's something Gail would do. Have a... Gail, her supposedly best friend. Have a discarded shopping trolley in your garden. (laughs) I lived next to a guy who had a discarded shopping trolley in his garden, just as we were trying to sell that house. Not right now, though. We had words. Yes. Then Tim's dad happens along. Uh, He'd be well advised to keep a low profile, but instead he starts to uh, some chat with Sally. And Sally bats it away, announcing that they're celebrating Noah and Faye, and Debbie advises putting his earplugs in, because once she and Shania Twain get going... Again, a very odd pop culture reference. Shania Twain. Really? She from, can't... from 1998? Right. Come on over. Yeah. Shania Twain? That Hello, doesn't... boys. Why, why? This would have been the perfect time for her to mention, oh, I don't know, Roxette? Or, <laughs> right. or Annie Lennox? Annie Lennox. Even more cutting edge than Shania Twain. Right, but at least it would go with her look. Right. Yeah, that's true. The chimney is going and Noah is late. Faye looks unhappy with Debbie's involvement in the conversation. Tim's dad comes out into his garden and starts dramatically coughing because there's smoke coming from the chimney. No rules against him standing outside, he says, and Sally tells him that he can get to fuck if he thinks he's getting an invite. Tim's dad pretends he's already been and has taken a piss in their hot tub. Okay. <laughs> and 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 uh put like green wood in the chimney or something and that's why it's so smoky. And he thinks that the uh water in the hot tub is going to be yellow and foamy. I'd go and see a doctor if I were you, Tim's dad. <laughs> Tim's dad pretends he's well I've already said that. Debbie continues to fluff Sally's ego about her garden furniture despite Faye's attempts to point out that it all came from a petrol station. Fun fact, there does seem to be some fencing up at uh David's side of the garden with hazard signs on it. So it's almost is, like they are acknowledging that, that that sinkhole that nobody mentions this week is still there. Out comes Tim's dad oh again God. with his own ghetto blaster playing a Mr. Boombastic by Shaggy. Again, a weird cultural reference <laughs> for that, for a man of his age. Are we just licensing music from 1998 this week? <laughs> Seems to be, and I'm just digging a hole for 
hindsight corner, but never mind. In 1998. And doing a dance that frankly should be reported to all relevant authorities and as many irrelevant authorities I as you fancy. Maybe Bolt came out in 1998 as well. <laughs> I have to say, as much as I hate Tim's dad, seeing him dancing to Mr. Boombastic. That was kind of funny. He he gave his all, Ian yes. Bartholomew, gave his all doing that yes, dance. Yes, he did. And it was well worth it. It was funny. That I, I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> and I then did. covered your eyes. He demands, I laughed while covering my eyes. It, he, he sold it. He did. I he mean, did. Kudos where it's, where it's deserved. Yeah. He's he demands, got some moves. He demands respect as a DJ, but Sally scoffs. Imagining like Jagger, it, ironically, same age. <laughs> imagining it, some astronomical luck that his choices in music haven't killed any patients yet. Debbie winds up Tim, telling him that if it was his daughter's whose day was getting ruined by Tim's dad, she wouldn't be able to control herself. So Tim throws an ice bucket over Tim's dad's trousers, and Sally is dead chuffed by this. Debbie goes round to see an upset Tim's dad. Why has Tim turned against me so, he asks, rather overdramatically. Hmm. Let's let's count the ways, shall we? Yes. Debbie thinks Sally eggs him on. She slags him off good style. Tim's dad doesn't know why she cares, first warning him about Alia and now this, and she claims to be a man's woman. She knows there's more to Tim's dad than meets the eye. How does he sit back when everyone's Ugh. roasting the fuck out of him? How does he manage his testosterone? Now a very riled Tim's dad wants to know what Sally's been saying. Ugh. So later, Debbie's background at Sally's... The insinuation that, that Tim's dad is hot and testosterone -y? A sexual beast. Wow. No. <laughs> Later, Debbie's background at Sally's and Faye has locked herself in the loo. Deliberately, I hope, because no one seems that bothered if she's trapped in the toilet, like I was in that McDonald's cubicle in Connecticut <laughs> in 1999. <laughs> or was it 98? Let's just make it 1998 Actually, just to carry the gag further. It was 1998, I think. Sally says if Noah turns up now, he'll be more like Jesus because it'll be a fucking miracle. <laughs> Debbie claims to have smoothed things over with Tim's dad. Sally just, has the best lines. Just as a noise from the garden distracts them. Tim's dad is smashing up the garden furniture and chimney with a spade. So much for smoothing things over. Tim tells Tim's dad to drop the spade. He's ruined everything and tells Tim's dad to bolt. You've hurt me so much, says Tim's dad. Yeah, well, you deprived me of a mother, so go fuck yourself. Seriously? Tim's dad wishes Yasmin had finished the job, and Tim agrees. So Tim's dad gives Tim the spade and begs him to finish him off now, but not like that. <laughs> oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. <clears throat> That's, why, why do you put such images in my head? Ah. Oh. Oh. You'd have put that image in your own head. Tim I tells him yet. to calm down and Faye tells him to stop it. Sally calls him a nasty evil man and Tim calls him sick and Tim's dad, who looked like he was about to take a swing at Sally, shirks away from Tim. I wondered how he got into the, the garden. There he, must jumped, be a, he must have jumped the fence. Oh, there must be a gate at the, the far end. Jumped the the atmosphere has... He hasn't jumped any fence. I don't know. I mean, with you saw move. his moves with Mr. Bombastic. He's Wasn't pretty an awful lot of jumping for an old going man. On the atmosphere has calmed and the tidy up has begun. Debbie doesn't know how Sally can live next door to Tim's dad. Sally is more concerned about his ch about her chimney and wants to call the police. Do that and it could go on for years, says Debbie, who knows what Weatherfield police are like. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I get why she says that because she doesn't want the police involved because she she wants them to move. Right. But still, if they called the police. 
then there would be a record of Tim's dad doing something violent and irrational against somebody else and causing damage. And, you know, that would help Yasmin's case for, for them to, for them to have this on, on record. One would think my attorney once told me document everything. So I'm, I'm passing this information on to you, Sally. Call the police. Even if it's just Craig. He's going to find out anyway. The gods of plot are looking badly at that. Yeah. Later, we learn from a conversation between Tim and Sally that Noah has dumped Faye, who is going to speak with Craig about it. Lads are a waste of space, says Tim. Is it weird that we that we never saw Noah? No. And I suspect that Faye never saw Noah? They, they met online, remember? Did they meet online talking or just texting? I believe they were talking as well. Because I saw a couple of people on the Twitter uh-huh. doing some speculation that Noah... Never existed? Didn't exist and was actually Tim's dad. Ooh. That's interesting. Creepy. Creepy as fuck, Sure. But, but interesting. I thought it was uh, no. It was just a poor plot device that they didn't want to throw money at in order to get <laughs> Craig and well, well, Faye well. together. Easy tiger. We'll get Un- to it. Unlikely as that coupling is, <laughs> because Craig is gay. <laughs> Debbie makes another play about Sally and Tim moving. Tim's dad certainly won't be ready to move, and if they call the police, it'll just escalate. Sally thinks Debbie might go into something. Maybe they should move, but Tim is not for budging. Yeah. Faye and the bandaged Craig are pissing on Noah in the community centre, not literally. You'll find someone else, he tells her, someone better. From now on, all her energy is going into work. Craig, who's enjoying bad-mouthing a guy he's never met before, right. has an idea to cheer her up. And that idea is to take photos of her being cheery. That'll posting show them Noah. on the gram. That'll show Noah what's what. Be happy and strong and gorgeous and cool, he says. And ask for those photos to be deleted from his phone once he's done. Just to be in the safe Was it? No, it was her phone, wasn't it? Didn't he take her phone to take the pictures so that it was posted on her Instagram? Just to be in the safe site. (laughs) Noah is a nobody. And the photos are going all over Insta. Nobody Noah's. (laughs) Debbie goes to see Ray and tells him about her fruitful day. Number four will be theirs sooner than they thought. But Ray doesn't seem all that impressed, thinking that she's counting her chips before they're cashed. And it all does sound a bit shite when Debbie explains about the broken chimney. Back at Sally's, she's already on the real estate websites and Tim isn't happy. This place is home and it's not worth moving for that shitbag next door. Sally doesn't think that she has the energy to fight anymore and she worries about Tim's heart. Can't they just walk away? Renee. On Friday, Abby drops in to see Sally. How you diddling? And she's heard about the kerfuffle from yesterday. Sally reveals that this, combined with Faye being temporarily down in the dumps about being chucked by someone we, and presumably she, has never met, has made up her mind. She's putting the house on the market, and Abby is shocked that she could walk away from a hot tub, hot tub, a hot tub, and a conservatory. Anything to get away from that reptile next door, says Sally. They make such a big deal about that conservatory. (laughs) It could hold her Tim's dad, so... Craig is trying his best to get Faye to not eat chocolate and get into her knacks right. when Tim's dad comes along. How? That was very disturbing to me, the whole, oh, no, you shouldn't eat that. 
because then you'll get fat like I used to be. Mm-hmm. Conversation right. was uh, off-putting. You did not see the soapy slut pups, did you? No. It were good. Were they good? It were one of the highlights of the week. Oh. Because I will happily admit that I had very low expectations for this. I thought they're going to fuck this up. But they didn't. (coughs) It was great. It was really funny. One of the funniest bits was a very young Craig Uh in Devs. It's like, I don't know, many, many years ago. Right, yes. And he's he's kind of awkward and clumsy. Right. As he's in the in the store and he, he backs into some groceries that are uh-huh. on shelves behind him and the whole cabinet or whatever just topples over. <laughs> and you see I think it's Kev who's in the store, <laughs> Michael Lavelle, who just looks at the camera and you can just see him saying, Oh for fuck's sake, this is gonna take ages because right. a prop guy is going to have to put this back up again, but not only that. Make sure that everything is put back in the right place. <laughs> Absolutely. If I, uh, if I get a chance to to get this, I, I would advise you watch it. I'm sure you'd like it because they're all kind of contemporary. There's nothing from the seventies or the sixties or anything. It's all which characters is a shame. that you probably you probably know like eighty percent of them. Mm-hmm. I would have happily sat through another half hour of that. So Faye tells me to go fuck himself after yesterday and storms off. Craig. Tim's dad, that is. Right, yes, not, <laughs> not Craig. Craig. <laughs> Although she should have. Yeah. Then Craig gets himself involved in telling Tim's dad that he knows what happened yesterday, and if Tim's dad is aiming for the charm offensive, then he forgot about the charm. Tim's dad blames Debbie and her meddling for winding him up and making the red mist descend, and Craig shrugs, not really caring, and wanders away. Yeah, and not really caring that he is, in fact, a police officer, <laughs> and this man has caused damage to Criminal somebody else's damage. property. And he's not going to report it. <laughs> well, he's because... not wearing his uniform. He's not PC Tinker. Right. It's just Craig at this point. It's just Craig because he's he's off the job because of his arm. Back at Kev's, Abby is ranting Shoulder. about that piece of shit Tim's dad forcing Sally to move, but Debbie is obviously taking Sally's side, saying that she's making the right decision. Abby isn't convinced, saying Sally needs her mates around her more than she doesn't need Tim's dad. Abby remains unconvinced and suspicious of Debbie. Meanwhile, Craig is round at Sally's, making himself at home by the looks of things. Getting stuck into some chocolate. <laughs> Faye has locked himself in the toilet again. Again. As Craig explains that Tim's dad was behaving like nothing had happened. The quicker we get away from here, the better, says Sally. And Craig tends to agree, although he mentions that Tim's dad was blaming Debbie for winding them up. Tim is once bitten, twice shy, and refused to believe it. Debbie went round to smooth things over, he says. That's not what Tim's dad says, says Craig. Sally, though, thinks it's a random thing to say. Plus, it was Debbie's idea to have the do in the first place. Hmm. hmm. So, Sally pops round to see Abby later. Her house has been on the market for 29 minutes and 38 seconds, and the house has been valued at 145000 Abby thinks it's a bit of a cheek, but Sally, while wishing for a little bit more, is pleased. Debbie says that uh, that sounds very fair. Sally mentions what Craig said earlier about Tim's dad and Debbie's provocation. What a weird thing to say, especially as she'd gone round to smooth things over, says Sally. And Debbie admits that maybe she didn't do as much smoothing as she claimed that Tim's dad was far angrier than she thought. Absolutely. Sally asks for Debbie to let them handle Tim's dad from now on. But it's all friendly-like. Big smiles, see? Big smiles, see? Later, Sally gets an offer. It's the full asking price of £145,000. Already? Debbie suggests... During a pandemic, it's a miracle. Biting the hand off for Sally 
Uh, but Sally wants to see if other people are interested and maybe they'll get an even better offer. Right, if, if somebody's already interested at this price right. already. Debbie makes another play. If they're patient, they might get less. Shut your hole, says Sally, and not so many words. Back home, Faye is very grateful to Craig for handling uh, Tim's dad, and she calls him her best friend ever, forever, ever. If only she was more sensible, she wouldn't have bothered with that Noah loser, and she'd have been able to get wired into Craig instead. He doesn't have a clue what she's talking about, so she has to ask gay. him out. He still hasn't got the full picture, but then suddenly understands and goes bright red. Because he's gay. If he's gay, he's <laughs> done a really bad job of being gay. He's Debbie, so clueless around women. So completely clueless. It's like, yeah, he's not really interested in women. Debbie stormed round to the bistro to read Ray Weinstein, the riot act for acting too soon. Oh, quit your whining, he says. When they get all the houses, they'll pop a hotel in it. Playing Monopoly has never been so much fun, and he asks Debbie if she's interested in getting her hole. She is. She is not. <laughs> That's as far as we get with that this week. She is not. <laughs> so. So, we were right about Debbie being involved with both Tim's dad and Ray Weinstein, and we've figured out. She's Roxy. Yeah. I presume that she's Roxy anyway. Yeah. There's not going to be another character. No. Getting involved in this. This is a Ray Weinstein and a Debbie production. Mm-hmm. I rather like Ray Weinstein, and I know I shouldn't, but he's out of the villains that they have on the street. He's the best villain. He's definitely the best one, right? He's the well, best. Tim's dad's. The... No, he's awful. He's, he is a villain. He's mentally. He's a villain. Disturbed and. He's, he's a villain. Compared with Gary. Oh, yeah. Compared Ray Weinstein is so much better than Gary. Remember Mick? <laughs> compared with Who? those two. Ray Weinstein is. Yeah. The, the, the uber body in the show. Yeah, and he has been for quite some time and in different ways. But he's doing it in quite a um, endearing, <laughs> endearing kind of way. I, I, I think he's doing a great job. It, this this type of... I kind of want him to win. <laughs> this, this kind of badness from Ray Weinstein is so much better than the sexual assault stuff. Yeah, I'm glad they've kind of drawn a line under that. Right, he says, I, and, and he has said, you know, I don't do that sort of thing anymore because I got... You know, I got my hand bit hmm. or something. He says but to the yeah. guy before he gets mobbed by the 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 plague doctor. I'm really grown <laughs> to wish that that he's successful and manages to buy all these houses and demolish them. <laughs> I hope he wins. The actress, uh, the actress who plays Debbie, in an interview this week, said that she genuinely thought Debbie thought that she was doing the right thing. That the street needed to be updated. This was better for everybody involved on the street, and it's like I can believe that. I'm sure. I'm sure you, this is what you tell yourself, so you can sleep at night. That's totally Debbie, though. But Debbie, Debbie says to Ray Weinstein, "I can't wait to raise the whole dump to the ground," sort of thing. So there's obviously some some bitterness and some hatred towards the street well, and the people who live there. Debbie gets wired into Sally about having airs and graces above her station, but Debbie's just as bad. With a well, the, Debbie's the, the, already with the crooked the crooked arm and the right and the, the massive sunglasses and being on her phone all the time. And Debbie she, sees herself as actually a you know a station above Sally, oh, and yeah, that's absolutely. why she acts this way towards Sally. Uh, so she's she has risen above the street and now she wants to tear it down and smush all these little people right 
we have to talk about Craig and Faye. Uh, do we? Does that have any long-term possibilities, do you think? <sighs> Craig is so awfully awkward. It, it, I, it seems difficult to imagine how that's going to progress. He's never had a serious relationship on the street. He did peg Kayla. That's all we know. Right, and he had that that brief thing with Bethany, when which she wasn't was even a an... girlfriend. Bethany at that point, right? Which was not even really a thing. No, so much, and because Bethany was never really into it, and no. <sighs> I don't know. I guess it's tough for the streak because I was thinking about it. And it's like, well, who else is there for Faye? Because the only other guy straight guy their age on the street is Seb and she's already had a relationship with Seb so unless they introduce some more men young men in their 20s I guess Michael but Michael's like an older like a 28 oh yeah yeah he's much yeah. older yeah. that would be creepy right but I mean James is gay he's not gay <laughs> Paul is gay. The whole Billy. Faye and Seb thing kind of worked when the two of them were very much lesser characters that nobody really cared too much about. Right. Faye seems to be getting a few more bits and bobs here. She's come down the stairs of Discovery a few times and she's... Right. Uh, <laughs> Remember when that was a thing? All right. Um, it continues to be a thing. Look at stupid Todd. She... <laughs> right. She, uh, stupid, stupid Todd. I don't think I mentioned him. He's in it this week. I don't think I mentioned him. He, um, she, she's had a few good scenes. She's been a little pivotal character in a couple of bits. She's a bit more now. I think she deserves. She deserves more than Seb now. <laughs> she's. I think she's kind of earned her when way up. When was the last time Seb. we saw Seb? We haven't seen Seb in ages. I can only begin to imagine what his hair must be like. Well, we saw him briefly in Devs. At one point where he was necessary because Abby said she was going to go see him. Right. So Debbie could find out that Abby was lying. Right. Yeah. And we we were kind of critical of that. It's like, why is Seb out? Because he's HIV positive. So if anybody on the street should be taking it seriously and staying at home, it should be Seb. The show forgot. (laughs) Moving on. Gracie's inevitable news. On Monday, Aggie's back. Yay! She still can't cook. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Michael, who was salesman of the week at the factory a month or so ago, has an interview for a new job that's more to do with design. Because apparently that's what he went to school for? Yeah. Aggie Did we says, know that before now? I don't think so. Oh. Aggie says there's nothing wrong with ambition. Ed wishes he'd stop flitting from one thing to another, and Michael is trying to move on since Grace ruined his life. He needs new goals. Then he notices that Aggie has left her phone behind, so rushes off to drop it with her. Right, because plot. Right. <laughs> Later, Michael gets Aggie outside the hospital because it takes him that long to catch up with her. And then bumps into a handcuffed Grace who's accompanied by two prison officers who are more than happy to indulge Grace, allowing her to engage in a lengthy conversation with Michael in which she announces that she's pregnant. She explains she's here for her 12-week scan. Michael doesn't know. He can be sure it's his, not after Tiana. Grace insists she did a test the day that she asked him to run away to Spain. She says this with a straight face. Mm. It's definitely his, but you can't believe a word that comes out of her mouth. She used she used someone else's child to trap him. She let him build a relationship with a kid for nearly a year. She ruined his life. 
Grace bites her lip. Yeah, fair point. But she's sure that she hates herself for what she did. But there is a sign of a second chance here. And Michael's heard enough and leaves. Don't you care? Grace shouts. No! Bit rich. Bit rich. Don't you care? Of course I don't care. You ruined my life, as I've just pointed out. And once again, this is the show. You need something dumb. To get two characters together, back like at the home, stupid phone left behind. Ma- lots of lots of electronics get left behind this week, as they do every week. <laughs> back at home, Michael admits to James that he didn't go to the interview. That Ed was right that he should just stick to one thing, but he says it in such a way that James knows that he's lying. So later, James tries again, and this time Michael opens up. James is less than impressed and demands that Michael stay well clear of Grace. And when Michael's phone rings, James rather weirdly answers it for him, saying. If this is Grace, you'd better stay away because Michael doesn't want anything to do with you and then hangs up. Right. What? Stay away from my brother. If this don't is ever, Grace. Don't ever talk to myself, me or my son ever again. And No, brother. Which is, yeah, I know. It's a meme. Anyway. Um, oh. I was making a modern cultural reference to a meme. But anyway, <laughs> meanwhile, Sean... On the other end, is very confused <laughs> and just wanted to bloody tickets. Right. <laughs> Problem solved, says James. Then he makes Michael promise not to call her back. Yeah. Yeah. On Wednesday, at home, Michael confirms that he hasn't heard from Grace since James's intervention. James goes off to participate in some team bants with Dobbo, allowing Michael to look at a letter he's received from Grace in prison that has a scan in it. Much later, Michael phones the maternity department looking for information on Grace. He explains that he's the father, not Grace's father. But then Ed comes in and he has to hang up. Michael claims to be worried about the job interview that he missed. And then a little later, Michael gets a call from Grace from the jail. He's still not convinced that he's a dad. She says that he had a right to know and a right to tell her to fuck off, but she's still carrying his child. Suppose for a second she's telling the truth, she says. He's finally going to be a dad, and she begs him to visit her. This is a chance to put things right, and Michael hangs up. On Friday, Michael is moody at the factory, and Alina wants to hear all about it, so Michael explains that Grace has knocked up with his child and wants to meet him. Alina, the new Nina. Alina Nina? Alina Nina. Alina tells him that if there's a chance the kid is his, he needs to go and see her face to face. Oh. She's just full of bad advice this week. <laughs> Or good advice, because she's she was right about the whole Emma thing. She, no, she did wasn't. need to go to the no, police. No, she didn't. So against his better judgment, he goes to see Grace. He needs to hear it from her lips, which Grace is happy to do, and she's also happy to get a paternity test done if he needs it. She wonders if he'd rather she waited until the kid was 18. She was just trying to do the right thing. First time for everything, says Michael. And Grace explains for the Zing. next time that she's sorry, and she's paying for it, and her kid doesn't have to do the same. Back home. James has had a bad day. He couldn't hit a cow's arse with a banjo, he says. Michael asks James to keep quiet about the contract that he's had with Grace, which James agrees to do if Michael agrees to keep blanking her. So James is under the impression that none of this has happened. Right. Your thoughts on this pointless storyline this week? Where's it going? You kind of saw that this was going to happen the minute that she looked into her handbag back at the Bailey's house before she got lifted. Right. I said, okay, so she's not gone. She's got to come back. There's going to be this whole right additional parental confusion right. thing where Michael, quite rightly, can't possibly just believe her on the face of it, given what's happened. Right, exactly. So this just spins on and on. 
Right, yeah. She, he, he can't possibly get it back into a relationship with her. I'm wondering if since she's in jail and since everybody kind of knows that she's got... There's, there's something wrong with her with the whole pretending that Tatiana was her kid and stuff. Tiana. Tiana. Why did I say Tatiana? <laughs> no I idea. don't know. Anyway, maybe maybe Michael can sue for for full custody and have her parental rights taken away. And then he can raise the child and never have to see Grace again because that's and she's already she's already lost a child before. She lost the first child that they were going to have together. I'm just trying to because she was really dodgy and cagey about their relationship. I didn't think that they'd gotten close enough to have sex. Well, clearly they must have. Otherwise, surely even Michael would realize that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, I don't know. The whole thing just feels like. It's one of those storylines that when it came up, you're just, oh, I'm just not interested in this. No. Can we skip through this? I mean, the whole Tiana thing. In the end, we're like, oh, well, fair play, because none of us saw this coming. Right. And this was actually kind of really interesting. And we're, we're glad that it happened because it was an interesting storyline involving the Baileys that we don't get enough of mm-hmm. the Baileys. We want to see more of the Baileys and we want it to be more than just gags about Aggie not being able to cook, mm-hmm. which is not true. Well, well, it maybe is true, but it's not funny. No, it, was, it wasn't funny the first time, much less the 250th time. Right. At least they're not. At least they're just saying that she burns the toast now, and it's not some weird concoction with avocado and Nails. peanut butter. Right. But to have it kind of to be dragged back into it with this whole Grace is pregnant, but she's also in prison because of the other storyline. It just feels like it feels tacked on, and like it's it can't really go anywhere because. They can't possibly get back together. No, she's in jail, and even if he does decide that yes, that baby's probably his, or no, that baby probably isn't, we're going to have a number of months to wait before right. anything can happen to prove it one way or the other. Right. So we're like, we're, we're, we're six months left before this baby's due to pop, <laughs> so we speak. But hey, if we thought that was a dull storyline. Let's talk about Sean and Dylan next, shall we? I I at least like seeing Sean as a dad. I do. I it 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 adds something to his character which, let's be honest, was rather two-dimensional. This this adds another dimension. He was two-dimensional. He was homeless, and then he was two-dimensional again. And now and, he's and a that dad. Spreads like two and a half years worth of Sean right there. And let's remember, let's remember, let's, I'm going to put a pin on something about remember when he was homeless and the whole reason why he was found and there were huge issues and everything was because Violet wasn't getting her check from him. Right. Yeah, let's put a pin in that. Okay. Because we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> on Monday, Sean is doing his best to get into Dylan's good books. Ice cream for breakfast, staying up to 2 a.m. and watching It. Sean Which asks, one do you think they watched, do you think? I would hope it would be the first one, because the second one's terrible. Not the Tim Curry TV one. Oh, no, that one's even worse. 
people have such fond memories for that. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was a sanitised made-for-TV movie. Right, yeah, so made-for-TV. So probably 8 o'clock in on ABC or whatever. In the 1980s. Was it in the 1980s or was it 1990s? I think it may be in the 90s. I don't know. I think it was in the 90s. Tim Curry was rather young in that Pennywise makeup. I like his Pennywise costume more than I like what's his name, the new Pennywise with the big poofs on his arms. Oh, and no, stuff I like that. That looks ridiculous. I like that. Hey, Georgie. <laughs> anyway. It's, it's, it's Johnny Pennywise. I thought he was Batman. <laughs> well, because Pennywise is on the toilet. Sean asks what Dylan. Oh, I would want to see what comes out of Pennywise. <laughs> Flush twice whether it needs it or not. Oh, because it's going to come. Sean out. asks what Dylan wants to do, but nothing Sean suggests interests Dylan, who wants to hang out with Addy, unless Sean can get tickets for the Way the County game. So Sean writes a check that his butt can't cash and promises to sort it out. Sean turns up at the Rovers and chats with Ryan about Way the County match, but the game is sold out. Oh no! This caused a lot of nitpicking on the social media. Oh, how can it be sold out when people aren't allowed into to games anymore? Well, it, which is true. But, 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 but when this out. was filled, the anticipation was that crowds would be back at soccer matches mm-hmm. at this point. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, that is it. They shouldn't. They still shouldn't be crowding, but it could be sold out, but also with like every other seat taken and precautions. Ryan tells him to go to speak with James, and for the second time in as many episodes, Ryan is called a genius. So Sean goes <laughs> to see James, who texts his Tommy O to arrange the tickets. Do you want hospitality? Asks James. Well, I don't want that to be rude, says Sean, hilariously misunderstanding what hospitality means. James explains that hospitality is a tour and meeting with the players, and it also tends to mean a free bar before and after the match. I went to hospitality once. What a mess. Sean thinks this sounds <laughs> what? champion. What's well, it? Well, because there's, there's free booze. So what do you do? You drink as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Right, and you don't pay attention to the footy at all, do oh, you? It was Alawa, Cowden Beast, and Cowden Beast. Which isn't a pretty ground by any manner of means. It has a speedway track around it and a big massive tyre. It's horrible. The worst place in the world to have a pee is Cowdenbeath Football Club's Central Park. <laughs> but they had we had hospitality because my friend Jude knew somebody who worked mm-hmm. for Cowdenbeath, so we got in and you get free sandwiches and you get free booze before mm. before the game, at half time and for an hour after the game. And we were all kind of rubber by the Yikes. time we were due to leave. Yeah. Good times. Mm. Oh, Sean thinks this sounds champion, so James says it'll sort it out with him later. So later indeed, Sean introduces Dylan to James. <gasps> the James Bailey! Dylan is well impressed, but not impressed enough to actually stand up. Sean says not only tickets for the game, but hospitality too. Yep, says James, and that'll be 300 quid. And Sean chits himself. Sean and James chat in the hallway, and James asks, and Sean asks James if he can pay him back tomorrow. No worries, says James. Isn't this weird, though, because James has sorted out tickets for people before on the show and money has never come up. I think it's a hospitality question. that. Right. Yeah, because it was just tickets. Because he'll get complimentary tickets. Right. So on Wednesday, Sean is watching TV with Eileen. Difficult conversation coming up, she says. Where's my fucking rent? And he's looking for a rent holiday. He's fucked up big time with these footy tickets and he can't get an overdraft from the bank. Uh, There were 300 quid and he can't afford it. 
Dylan sits in the stairs and overhears the conversation while Todd, out of habit, continually runs up and down the stairs claiming that his <laughs> life is in imminent danger. <laughs> Later. See, you did mention him. Good job. And, and there's the gag. <laughs> Later, Dylan approaches Sean about the tickets. If he can't afford rent, maybe they should try to get the money out of his mum and her partner. Sean isn't impressed and he wants to spend his money how he wishes. Dylan puts his foot down. No more spending money on him. Then Eileen comes home and Sean thinks it's Freaky Friday. Sean is a kid and Dylan's a parent. Eileen reminds Sean that he can't compete financially exactly with Dylan's mum and partner, works. so he shouldn't try. Then on Friday, Sean is kicking a ball about with Dylan and giving a piss-poor version of commentary. He's been researching footballers and thinks that Ronaldo Messi is one person. Dylan knows that he'd rather be watching Love Island, and Sean is determined to get to know his son on this, his final day with him, and they go off to play video games. Dylan is quite convincing with a James, with a games controller. Sean looks like he's never held one before in his life, as they play FIFA or something. Things have moved on since Sean's days with his Spectrum, he says, and then Dylan gets a text from his mum. He's off to a five-star spa in a castle in Scotland for New Year, mm-hmm. and he goes to give her a call, and Sean is obviously put out. So, Violet. Well, it's her partner that's got the money, isn't it? It's her new partner. So she's she's with somebody really, really wealthy now. Well, who can afford to? A castle in Scotland. Have a holiday in Scotland. In a castle with golf and stuff. You've been to Scotland. Castles are fucking ten a penny. This is yeah, nothing. This, imp- this is nothing impressive. I've I've looked up the prices of staying in a castle in Scotland because secretly which, this is something I would like to do, which you would never ever ever want to do. So later he moans about all this to Eileen and Todd. How can he compete with an actual lock? Although he said it wrong, called it a lock, which is just a well, it's a pet peeve. <laughs> Eileen says parenting isn't a competition. This isn't how you win a kid's love. Sean wishes Violet had waited. He was just making progress in that. What does he offer? He's a knicker stitcher and a barmaid. And he still feels like he needs to impress Dylan. Eileen suggests that he begins by being an adult about it. But Sean ignores her and is determined, (laughs) regardless, to change his life and make Dylan proud. And that's as far as we get with that this week. And Eileen manages to get into the conversation the fact that she was once married to a serial killer. Because she's got to mention that at least once a week. Right. Remember that time? Remember that time I was married to a serial killer? Right. <sighs> and you think you have problems. I was once married to a serial killer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the banter between Eileen and Todd and Sean there, I thought was pretty good. Well, Todd, Todd, I hate so. Todd. I hate Todd with a passion. Mm-hmm. He's a tit. But his banter is good at times. Yeah, I'm not all that fussed about Sean and Dylan. I was quite pleased that Dylan was there because he looked like Sean. Yes. And enjoyed that. I'm just not that bothered about Sean yeah. becoming a dad, a proper dad. Yeah, I mean, it was something when we thought maybe possibly because of the issues that Violet is having with her her partner that they might get divorced or something and so Sean might have to step in and, you know, still be the primary possible. the primary parent. But if they're meant, if they're loaded... I thought that Dylan had said something last week about the fact that they don't get on. Yeah. Maybe this is the last roll of the dice. Maybe. That a castle in Scotland's going to sort it out. There's lots of things. There's lots of things a castle in Scotland will sort out. This might not be one of them. No. Oh, 
but now that it sounds like he's going back to to Violet's and he's not going to be living with Sean permanently or even semi-permanently, it's just like, what was the point of this? Come, come, my own. Come, come. We know how these things work. You can't, you can't be introduced and then all of a sudden this new normal is kind of created at the back of it where Dylan is now living with Sean and Eileen. God knows where that's going to work out. Mm-hmm. He has to go away to then come back again. Right. He has to go away for it to become much, much worse for him to come back Or it's again. going to be one of those things where he'll be on like every other week when it's, it's Sean's week to have him sort of thing i don't think that's even i don't think that's how it's going to go it's going to be an all or nothing deal yeah but they do need more kids on the street or more teenage kids and he's like a young teenager was it 12 or something 12 13 our penultimate storyline today is meet the new asha nothing like the old asha but quite like the older asha Ugh. i hate the storyline i hate it so much i hate three back to back here we're doing so well with sally on Monday, Addy and Asha are getting ready for their shift at the kebab shop. Addy would like an advance from Dev to buy new trainers, and if Addy wants something, Asha's going to want, want it too. Dev tells them both to bolt. If they want trainers, they need to save up for them. Then Addy comes to the conclusion that Asha is texting ITV Corey, so, who Asha announces as her boyfriend in case we'd forgotten. So Dev is no longer responsible for buying his children's shoes? He can't afford so it. So if their shoes are falling apart in their posh high school... He's just going to let it go. Mm-hmm. They're going to go shoeless to high school. They have to earn their money. Earn their keep. About high fucking time. Well. Addy disapproves mm-hmm. and Asha accuses him of being jealous just because he's not getting any. Addy denies this, claiming to be on buying terms with a Canadian called Tanya. Noah. That Asha doesn't know <laughs> because <laughs> the suspects is a character this in is, the game. This is, who Noah, this is who Noah has left Faye for. It's Asha. Addy. Addy. That's what I meant. Why did I say Asha? I don't know. I don't know. My Why brain did she say Titania earlier? Oh, yeah. Addy is blah, quite blah, work blah. shy and has taken extended breaks, much to Asha's chagrin as she's been put in charge, which Addy doesn't remember happening. Addy blames Asha for all of this working shite. If she hadn't got them out in front of ITV Corey, it wouldn't have gotten all over the internet, they wouldn't have had to switch schools, Dev would still have some cash, and they wouldn't have to be working. Then along comes ITV Corey, who has a present for Asha. It's a pair of absolutely honking trainers. They're so ugly. They're they awful. look like they came from Walmart. They're shiny and they're rainbow. Ten bob sliders, that's what I always call them. They, they, there's no... They're hideous. Really are. But everybody seems to love them. Well, no, only Asha seems to be impressed with them. Daddy's <laughs> mad claiming this isn't fair. They were supposed to save up for them, but Asha points out that Dad didn't say anything about gifts. Addy calls ITV Corey so predictable. Right. And then ITV Corey says that he, you're sacked, Paul. You're, he's gonna buy some for. Danasha and ITV Corey start to rib Addy about his imaginary Canadian girlfriend called Noah. Noah. Addy is quick to point out that uh, she's not his girlfriend; more his friend with benefits. Oh. The kids get the home from Canada, and Dev turns into Yoda as he talks about as he talks to an exhausted Addy. Kebab you will learn to make. Mm-hmm. Train you will have to. Wait, you must. <laughs> Addy wastes no time in dropping Asha in it, pointing out that the trainers that ITV Corey bought her were in exchange for sex. <gasps> Asha denies it, and Dev sends Addy to his room. With Addy gone, Dev asks Asha if she's sleeping with ITV Corey, and she denies it again and asks why he has to make a big deal out of everything. 
So later, Dev has a word with Addy. He pretends that he wants to know if Addy is okay, but what he really wants to know is if he thinks that Asha is sleeping with ITV Corey. Addy is far from impressed by this line of questioning, but admits that yes, that's exactly what he thinks is happening. On Wednesday, Asha shows up at Roy's Rolls to show off her horrific trainers. Oh God, and she's so proud of them. Amy thinks Asha won't be missed at night, <laughs> and Bernie asks her to turn them down a little bit. <laughs> Asha goes I on. love Bernie in the scene. <laughs> Bernie was the best part of the scene. Asha goes on to gush about ITV Corey and how he bought the trainers and how he posted a photo of the two of them on Insta, which Amy already knew, and that he changed his relationship status, which Amy also already knew. Because Asha had already told her these things. And that he's getting a mask with her face in it. Cut which the, is not creepy at all. Cut the bollocks, says Amy. Are you shagging them or what? And Asha shuts up at this, and Amy advises protection, given that she got knocked up last year in that. Back at home, Dev is trying to butter up Addy. Andy has been pushed out recently, so Dev wants to make it up to him with new trainers and a smashing day out having lunch at the cathedral. Take it or leave it. Addy takes it. Right. And in the time since Roy's rolls, Asha's been to see Dr. Gadas and is now on the pill, or at least has a supply of them. Asha seems a little forlorn as she remarks that she's not even 16 yet. Gaddis thinks that she's been sensible and recommended speaking with her dad. Amy advises hiding the pills because Dev will go through the fucking roof about this. Dev comes home to an icy Asha. Mary saw Asha coming out of the medical centre and he's worried that she's pregnant. Asha, that is not Mary. Why was she there? And she admits that she was getting the pills so she doesn't get pregnant. And when Dev doesn't declare this to be the most capital notion of the season, she says there's no winning with him and she storms off. I, it's not a... a it's like, it's you went into a hospital. You went into a hospital, so you must be pregnant. <laughs> it's like, for that to be his first assumption... That is Dev, though. Yeah. When she comes back down, she says that she's not sleeping with ITV Corey and she's not currently taking the pill. She's taking the precautions and he didn't react like this when he found one of Addy's, let's hope, unused condoms. Dev casts up the phone sexting thing and how he tried to protect her. She claims to be in love. Then she Ugh. gets a text from ITV Corey. He's on his way. Ugh. Let's give him a welcome that he'll remember then, says Dev. So in the street, Dev confronts ITV Corey, accusing him of buying Asher's trainer so he'll get his hole off of her. ITV Corey denies it. They're not having sex. Asher rubs her forehead. Then why is she on the pill, screams Dev. <laughs> Very loudly. In the middle of the street. This is news to ITV Corey. He knew nothing about this and isn't putting any pressure on her. Asha explains that she was just trying to be sensible and mature. Dev looks like he wishes his storylines were simple. <laughs> like when Addy was good at FIFA that one time. Remember? Oh, God. I... In the house, Asha is furious and ITV Corey thinks that he's due an apology. Dev eats a small slice of humble pie but insists that Asha is a child. It's my body, I'll do what I want, says Asha. She knows what she's doing, she's being sensible and responsible and she's not taking any risks. Your Cartman impersonation is lacking there. <laughs> Dev is very upset. So Asha makes, I've only decided to do it halfway through the sentence. <laughs> so Asha makes it better by going off with ITV Corey back to his place for some no sex. ITV Corey actually looks a bit sympathetic towards Dave. And later, Addy comes home upset that he's been stood up at the cathedral. <laughs> this image of poor Addy sitting, waiting for hours, hour upon hour at the cathedral for a Dave to drop. A place he didn't really necessarily want to go to. For scones and tea with his dad. Yeah, <laughs> a dad date. A dad and lad date, which was just, when Dev says, let's go on a dad and lad date, I was just like, ah! Because that just sounds creepy. But you guilted. 
had it and agreeing with it and then couldn't be turning up to it. Right, because Ash is on the pill now. No wonder. I do sympathize with poor Addy. Poor Addy is just. Oh. That was hilarious. <laughs> Dave, I think that's unintentionally hilarious. Dave explains about Ash and the pill and stuff. Addy isn't surprised. Of course it was and Asha. storms upstairs in a huff. On Friday. Addy is convincingly playing a video game when a humble Dave comes home, want to start again and for them all to go away and do something as a family. The kids aren't keen because they heard about this cathedral thing. They complain about Dave treating them like babies. Asha saying that he used Disney princess wrapping paper on her birthday present last year. He maintains <laughs> that she's still a child and not ready to have sex and he knows what teenage boys are like. You could have fooled me, says Addy. And he wants to be treated more like an adult too. Dave points out that he's sitting around playing Mario Kart Addy's quick to point out that this is because Dave won't let him play the games that his mates are playing. They're age-restricted for a reason, says Dave. Yeah, Addy wants Kinda to the play Grand Theft Auto mm-hmm. and, and murder prostitutes and, right. and shoot people. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> Later, Asha is showing Boom. off her ganting trainers to Amy, who's more interested in how Dev is now. Asha fills her in on yesterday. Amy thinks that she did the right thing and asks if ITV Core is putting pressure on her. No, he totally gets it, says Asha, which doesn't really clear things up at all. No. Asha likes to think that she's all grown up, but she gives herself away all the time. Absolutely. Dev has made a special tea, but the kids have other plans. Dev is doing his best here. How does he make this better? The kids don't come with a manual, he says, and he admits that he makes mistakes. He wants their advice. He wants to know what they want. Asha wants to go back to where they're high, and so does Addy. They don't fit in, and it's making Dave skint. Dave agrees to put the wheels in motion and to take the kebab shop off the market. So all that's kind of dealt with right. now. And Dave offers to give ITV Corey his dinner too. So ITV Corey comes round and is magnanimous when Dave apologises for getting off on the wrong foot. They chat and discover they have a shared interest in Gouf. ITV Corey caddies for his dad, apparently, and it turns out his dad is on the committee at Dev's course. And that is all Dev needs to hear. To be okay with... To be the gracious host. ITV Corey, the, the, the kid who's plastered his daughter's naked pictures all over the internet. And is probably shagging her. Or will be soon, and will pressure her into it because of what he says when he leaves. And dinner has been an outstanding success. Dev asks for his name to be dropped with uh, ITV Corey's dad as he goes off to do the dishes. ITV Corey is happy Dev is on side. And now he and Asha can see more of each other. Big D. And start shagging in that. He can't wait. Nor me, says Asha, who says the exact opposite with every other part of her body. And that's as far as we get. Call Dev Big D. Which either means he's Dallas or a very large... Phallus. <laughs> I hate the way these kids talk to Dev. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Because it's so unrealistic and ridiculous that, you know, they talk to him so poorly. They treat him like garbage and he just takes it. And it's. He does a bit. And the fact that Corey, ITV Corey, gets away with it. With talking shit, you know, to Dev's face. And it's like, wait a second, kid. What happened to ITV Corey should be put in jail because technically he was purveying in child pornography. Right. Whatever happened to that? Because that's something that absolutely should have happened. Uh, uh, Corey should not be in a relationship with Asha. Nobody should have allowed this. And so many people, even Nina said to her, eh, 
is this really the guy you want to date? Because somebody had to say that because it was so obvious that Asher has gone a complete 180 on this. She was all about ITV Corey. Then the thing happened, and then he didn't he didn't stand up for her. Right. So she, she gave him a bollocking. She became the super Asha. Super strong Asha, proud of herself, believing in her own inner beauty and everything. And now all of a sudden, she's shitty Asha again, who thinks that she's ugly and her only her, her self worth is completely tied up in what Corey thinks of her. And it's going to kowtow to Corey ITV Corey all the time. Oh, just. Yeah. I don't understand why this, this move backwards because the move forwards was far more interesting it was. than dealing with this that we've already dealt with before. We've right. already had this, this right. version they of Asha. want to keep ITV Corey around, I guess, for some reason? Because, again, they don't really have a lot of young men on the street. I enjoy seeing his name, but he's not that interesting a character. <laughs> his hair keeps changing and it confuses me. <laughs> Because he kind of looks like Todd now. It does a, look a bit like an old Todd. And it's confusing. They should have brought Todd back, but <laughs> but somehow he's like 20 years younger than he was when he left. <laughs> You're, I have a story to tell you. You're Later. never going to believe this. He's found the fountain of eternal youth. <laughs> and, and now that becomes a thing. And that's why his scar is gone. Right. Uh, I don't know... Dev being the kind of doormat is, is I don't par, like it. par for the course, though. I don't, I don't like it. It's, <sighs> and especially, he doesn't even have a voice of reason with Mary anymore because Mary is no longer there. Yeah. It's a no from me. <laughs> it's a move backwards and I don't understand why they're doing it. No. Because with all this, either she's going to become the new Asha again and tell... ITV Corey to get to fuck or she's getting knocked up and, and we can't have another we can't have another pregnancy, teenage please. pregnancy story this this it especially since Amy references her own teenage pregnancy story while talking to Asha about getting on the pill I, I guess it's it's kind of I guess it kind of works that Asha's living in this bubble of people telling her that she's doing the wrong thing and she's still going right. ahead and doing it but it's very frustrating to watch. It's very frustrating. You know who they need to bring back? Ta- Irish Tina's son. What's his name? Tyler. That we mentioned. Yeah, Tyler. Tyler needs to come back. Without the- Irish Tina. <laughs> because Irish Tina is having, you know, her her lesbian relationship with Michelle in, in Ireland now. Raising that kid of Robert's. Oh, that's right. Do you think they ever mentioned Robert to the kids? <laughs> I don't think so. I think they named the kid Robert? Nah. Nah. They couldn't even bury him. Our final storyline today is careless Wendy the Guardian and her stupid dictaphone. On Friday, Simon is at the hospital with Leanne. Simon's back. Yay! The chat about the hearing and uncertainty and Leanne seems to take exception to seeing Wendy enjoying a coffee earlier and listening to her stupid dictaphone. How Leanne would love to know what's on it. Simon is sure that she'll be fair, but Leanne isn't so confident. It'll all come down to what's in that book and what's on that dictaphone. So we can all see where this is going right from the first scene. And why does she Friday. have a dictaphone? Why Why does she... She has one of these. Helen's holding up Exhibit A. A phone with a cat's face on the back of it. Or a cat's asshole? 
People seem to think that's a spider. No, it's a cat's nose and whiskers with the ears. You have but a anyway. dictaphone to record a conversation that you then go back and type up. Right. You don't just leave it on the dictaphone forever. Right. And also... Oh, it's a very fancy digital dictaphone. You can record conversations on your phone and then you only have one piece of equipment that you need to worry about. You're saying that she wouldn't have left her phone behind because phones get left behind all the time. No, because when, when she leaves the dictaphone behind, she's on her phone with somebody named Duncan. <laughs> don't think it was Duncan. Yeah, she says, I'm on my way, Duncan, like her son or something. No, she's like, late for a meeting. She's late yeah, for a meeting. Yeah, she says, I'm late for a meeting, and then she's on the phone with somebody named Duncan. I don't think it was Duncan. It was Duncan. I don't think it was Duncan. It was Duncan. I don't it think just think it wasn't was Duncan. the Duncan who, who put Sally in prison. I don't think it was Duncan. So later, they discuss whether Emma's going to go to jail, but neither of them appear all that bothered either way. They have enough to think about. At this, Wendy the Guardian comes in and say that, right, I've got all the information I need, so she's unless there's anything anyone else wants to say to her, she'll be off. Leanne asks for a look at the report, but Wendy the Guardian tells her to get to fuck. All right, and Leanne, then Simon says, you didn't talk to me. Leanne just wants to make sure that they have an accurate picture of Oliver, and Wendy the Guardian says, yes, 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 he's a, a boy that's very well loved, apparently. Simon offers to speak to Wendy the Guardian to speak at the hearing. It's about time he got to stand up for his brother. And Leanne is made up by this. <laughs> So, in this impromptu meeting, when did the Guardian... Thank God everybody has finally remembered that Simon is Oliver's brother. No, Simon has remembered this. Nobody else has. <laughs> when did the Guardian wonders if Leanne has the ability to step back and assess what's best for Oliver? And Simon is singing from the hymn sheet. Leanne wouldn't fight it if she didn't think there was a chance. When did the Guardian heads off to the next meeting and that she's already late for and forgets her dictaphone and that gets Simon a phone call spies. From not Duncan. Duncan. It is Duncan. You're uh, going uh, to eat your words at Hindsight Corner next week. Well, what if I don't look it up? <laughs> Back at number eight, Nick and Gail are talking about Sam and how Leanne didn't want him at the hospital, which Gail can kind of understand, especially when Nick only thinks it'd be good for Oliver. Well, how good could this be possibly for, for Sam? Nick, though, is struggling. Things will never be the same, he says. Gail insists that time is a great healer, but Nick doesn't think that they'll ever get over this. He takes a deep breath and heads off to the hospital, Gail saying that she'll join him later. Nick is now at the hospital, and Leanne is concerned that, concerned that she shouldn't have let Simon talk to Wendy the Guardian. And we learn via text that Emma got off the money laundering charge with a fine, which again just doesn't make any right, sense. Right, yeah, it's like they make this big deal about throwing her in a cell, and then off-camera... We don't even get to see the hearing off camera. She gets off with a fine. For money laundering. For money laundering, which is something that didn't happen. And comes Simon and he's worried that he's done something stupid. And he reveals Wendy the Guardian's dictaphone. Nick thinks that they need to hand it back pronto. If Wendy the Guardian thinks they've listened to a confidential report, it won't reflect well on them during the case. But Leanne has different ideas and sends, sends Simon off to the canteen. Nick is adamant that this is a bad idea. Leanne thinks that she has every right to listen to this and she doesn't give a fuck what Nick thinks. So they listen to the recordings. And we hear Howarth explain how dire Oliver's condition is and how the parents are finding it impossible to come to terms with how bad things are. Leanne seems offended when Howarth expresses her sympathy and she skips ahead to the end of Nick's interview and then we hear Gail's input. And now Leanne seems offended that Wendy the Guardian spoke with Gail and Nick pleads ignorance that he didn't know that they had a conversation. As we hear Gail explain that Nick isn't being honest with Leanne on how he feels. She says Nick knows there's no hope for little Oliver but feels he has to stand by Leanne and keep his mouth shut. Gail, obviously, 
chooses this moment to make good on their promise to catch up with Nick <laughs> later at the hospital and sticks her head around the door. Hiya! Not a good time, she says. <laughs> Nick and Leanne are furious. I, I laughed at that and I know I shouldn't, but it was just... The timing was obviously Gail was great. Gail was great this week. Gail insists that she didn't think it would do any harm and she was only given her opinion. And Nick begs for calm, but Leanne is out for blood. Why would Gail make up stories? Gail says that she was guessing. She thought it was in confidence. Leanne calls it a hatchet job. Get rid of Oliver to make way for Sam, the real grandson. Blood's thicker than water, after all. And Gail calls Leanne thicker than both, if that's what she thinks. <laughs> and also, Leanne, we've just we've just seen you finally, you know, bond again with your adopted, not blood son, right. Simon. And now you're talking about blood being thicker than water. The, the- poor Simon. They continue to exchange barbs until Nick explains that Gail didn't make anything up. Nick was the one who's been lying. Dum, dum, dum. Gail has fucked off, allowing Leanne to get wired into Nick. How could he lie? What happened to the United Front? He apologises and didn't think Gail would tell Wendy the Guardian. This is Oliver's life, says Leanne. How could Nick write it off like that? He admits he should have talked to her, but he didn't want his reservations to be aired. There's no coming back from this, says Leanne. She wants no one near Oliver who isn't 100% committed to helping him. And Nick says that's exactly what he is doing. Oh no, she doesn't want to hear this, but he says it anyway. He knows it's hard, and he knows it's heartbreaking, but what if the right thing to do for Oliver is to let him go? But what Leanne hears from this is that Nick thinks that she's keeping Oliver alive for her, not for Oliver, which I absolutely agree with. That's true. That's exactly what she's doing. Nick denies that that's what he meant. He says no one could have fought harder, but he thinks that this is the end of the road. She's not ready for giving up fighting. He asks if hand on heart she thinks dragging Oliver through the courts, that's a bit of emotive language, isn't it? Dragging Mm. him, is in Oliver's best interest, when every (laughs) expert has said that there's no hope. Doctors have been wrong before, says Leanne. Maybe they're wrong here. They're not, says Nick. they're not. It's cruel and it's unfair, but it's over, and she knows it. And tearfully, Leanne storms out. In the waiting room, Simon is doing his best to give Gail a hard time about expressing unpopular opinions when in comes Wendy the Guardian. The dictaphone is back where Wendy the Guardian left it, and Gail is needlessly suspicious as she points it out. It's a good job we didn't listen to it by mistake, says Gail. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Gail promises that they won't mention it to anyone that Wendy the Guardian had lost it earlier. She's only human. confidential information flying around. She's only human and would appear unprofessional if that got out. Mm-hmm. Wendy the Guardian lifts the thing and leaves. Did we get away with it? Asks Gail. You're a fucking lunatic, <laughs> says Simon. And don't quit your day job. Leanne's back and Nick is sorry for upsetting her. He only said what he said because he loves her. He just wishes that he'd said it sooner and suggests ending the court case stuff now. Leanne now casts Sam up to Nick. As soon as he popped up, Nick has backed off and she goes by what she sees. Oliver is just in the way. This whole thing only came out by accident. Well, shame on me, says Nick, but Oliver is going to die and there's nothing we or anyone else can do to stop it. Leanne snarls, there is no we. Nick is nothing to Oliver because he's nothing to Leanne, and she goes off to see her son. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. She knows. Of course she knows. She knows. There's that moment before she storms out. She has a look on her face. And it's just... The acting is just so well done. You know? So many of... The actors in Corey do so much with just their faces and are so skilled at it. And this is absolutely one of those moments. 
where, you know, the realization, I mean, she must have known already, but the realization that this is all falling down, just you can see it hitting her like a ton of bricks before she storms out. And it was just Mm -hmm. so good. BBC's cold delation. Of our country? Yeah. Four more years? Yep. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Uh... I, I would like I would like some American people. Uh, Washington Post has also done it. Have they? Yep. Yay. Okay. Well, that's something. Uh, I didn't like the manner in which this came out. Simon stealing the, the dictaphone... Leanne having no scruples whatsoever about listening to it. Uh, Gail's kind of involvement and realisation of what she's done and her attempts to back off. Leanne casting up Sam left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. I'm still not convinced that Sam is actually next. Right. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of how it came out, but I'm just glad it, it, it came out and Nick can stop bottling all this up and being the... Remember when we were really confused when Nick finally told Leanne about Sam and she was like, well, okay. And we're like, that doesn't seem right that she would just be like, well, okay. She wasn't well, okay. She threw him out. Well, this week, you know, and, but she was like, okay. No, when she found out about Sam, she was not happy. She came round to it, but she was not happy to begin with. Well, she... She was, but she she came around and she was like, "No, I I want to meet him today," sort of thing. Yeah, it was kind of aggressive. All that stuff I found. But but still, it was. We didn't expect her to want to meet Sam and and everything and all of that stuff. So obviously, this sort of idea has been bubbling in her head all along. The whole idea that Nick is more interested in Sam now because Sam is his actual kid, and everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, part of that is just Leanne is at a point now where she wakes up in the morning and unlike Steve, whose first thought is for Oliver and then second thought is for Amy and Emma, Leanne's first and only thought, sorry, Simon, is Oliver. Right. You know, and that's that's become clear that this is just an obsession with her and nothing else is important to her. And so she she is blinded by it. So it was it the best way for it to come out? Was it great to have it sort of have some of these weird comedic elements, which were funny, but mm-hmm. maybe misplaced a little? You need some comedy to lighten it. Yeah. I liked, I kind of liked the fact that the first part they listened to in the dictaphone was the the doctor and the doctor says, "No, I genuinely, I genuinely think these are caring, intelligent people. It's just that they're too, too close to it." Right. You know, after Leanne says, but "Oh, she quite, thinks we're thick." But it's quite telling how little Leanne wants to listen to that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, once she hears that the Cause doctor, because it, it humanizes the doctor. Right. It humanizes the doctor and it goes against Leanne's narrative. Yeah. But I think it's important for us to hear it, and see her reaction to it. But then to. Well, I think her hearing that kind of lent to the, the the moment where she was almost accepting of what Nick was telling her. Right. Yeah. But then for her to fast forward, and of course, 
immediately land on, you know, the uh, Nick yelling at Gail and then Gail apologizing to Wendy and, and that conversation. I don't know. There are, there are points in all of these storylines where some of the really good storytelling just kind of for a moment becomes not great storytelling and just throwing things in because plot. And I know that we, you know, joke about it all the time, but when that happens in a storyline that we really don't care about, like the whole grace thing, it's one thing, but when it happens in a storyline that we have grown to care about because it's been going on for so long, like this one, it's kind of like you've spent so much time building this story up. Couldn't we have figured out a better way to do this? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're getting... I, th- I think Monday will be telling us the, uh, how much of an effect this is going to have because does Leanne realise that she's been... Uh, that she's been quick to throw Nick out and cut him off? Because... That's basically what she's done, right? Mm-hmm. Like she has no place for him, and there's no place for him next to her, and there's no place for him next to Oliver anymore. That's done. That's over now. Either she realizes that she's kind of been quick to jump to that conclusion, which I can't see her doing, or she pushes forward with the court case, which I absolutely can see her doing. Yeah, and the if, court case is going to happen, and that is unfortunate. That that's the way that we're the way that we're going to go with this because there was an yeah. out here. There was an out to stop it and mm-hmm. to because again I, I I feel that this is not really the, a good time to be having the take the NHS to court storyline. Yeah, <laughs> just, it really is not. It really isn't, and, and that's obviously not what was intended. And it's a, a bad it's bad happenstance given the situation that we're in. But still, that that is what we're left with. Right. And we had a chance at the eleventh hour to to pull the plug on that and we're not doing that and I'm disappointed that that's that's how it's that's how it's going to go now mm-hmm. your moment of the week I think it's it's got to be that 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 moment right before Leanne storms out when you know the world comes crashing down on her and you see all that acting being done on Jane's face <laughs> when you see all the acting being done on the face you know and and Nick you know, finally confronting her with, no, this is absolutely how I feel. It's cruel and it's unfair, that bit. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or was, was it, or was it, or was it Sean and Dylan playing FIFA? No, there was a part of me that almost wanted to give it to Tim's dad and his dancing to Mr. Bombastic, but... No, we can't do that. We can't do that. I so, mean, we could, but no, we're not going to. Not. So... Nick confronting Leanne about his true feelings. Yeah. As our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Sean and Dylan playing FIFA? Yep. That's our boring moment of the week. <laughs> I'm not sure if it is, but we've been going on for far too long. <laughs> so if you've ever If you've ever lost an election to <laughs> the oh. ballots being counted legally. Then na 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 na. Da 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 da. <laughs> hey hey hey.
a goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Woo!